Welcome back to the Two Man Wall Podcast. This is Match Week 11. I am back with my brother and co-host Ethan. How's it going? And what a effing match week this was <laughs> to say the least and not all for the right reasons ethan uh i'm not even gonna go through the preview because i think if you're a f- listener of this podcast you pretty much know what went down this week on the football pitch and a lot of it was not football related unfortunately um i i had a lot to say to my friends to my family to anyone that was willing to listen to me about this and i'm very glad that i'm able to speak to the microphone and broadcast to the world this evening I think if we weren't allowed to mention VAR, this would be like a five-minute-long podcast. (laughs) (laughs) If somebody took this, cut out everything that was related to VAR, and it's just like a a bunch of like like a bunch of like breaths, basically in between what we're saying. Um, but before we get into all that, before the craziness starts, Ethan will take us through a uh, a bit of a. Women's football developing de- development, I should say, uh, with the U.S. women's national team. Yes. Uh, anybody who is a U.S. women's national team or Chelsea fan or or really just a women's soccer fan, because this is a pretty big development, which is that Chelsea manager Emma Hayes is going to leave her post at the end of the season and become the new U.S. women's national team manager. And she's one of the most accomplished managers in women's football. Um, seven WSL titles, five FA Cups, two League Cups, uh, and a second-place finish in the 2021 20, Champions League final, I believe. Um, and she's, she's just the manager that this U.S. women's national team needed, coming off of their worst World Cup in their history. Knocked out by Sweden in the round of 16. Just four goals all tournament. Three of them were against a lowly Vietnam side. And the eye test was even worse. They, it, it, looked, it looked like high school soccer. They could not possess the ball. They just lumped the ball up to the attackers. Alex Morgan had a terrible tournament. This team was in desperate need of new and fresh ideas. They fired Flacco and Anofsky. And yeah, they've gone big. This is a this is a this is a yeah. federation that knows that they should be the best in the world, and they've gone and gotten one of the best managers in the world. So, big statement move from them. Yeah, I, I mean, U.S. Women's National Team is one of the best. I mean, usually in the men's game, the international teams are far worse than the the best international teams are far worse than the best club teams because in club you can just buy players that fit your system and then in the national team you kind of have to work with what you got uh but the u.s women's national team would probably go toe-to-toe with a lot of club teams they are incredibly talented and incredibly deep and the pipeline goes forever down to our you know youth system and stuff like that it doesn't really work for the men but it works exceptionally well for the women um and yeah, this is this is absolutely needed. I think uh, we've gotten past the point where we can't just play on talent alone. We kind of need tactics. I mean, credit to the world. The world has caught up. Absolutely, yeah. the world has caught up. The Spains, the Germanys, the Englands, absolutely. Um, but yeah, this is it's now like okay, let's you know lock in because we need to actually like we can't get by on the on the Rapinos and the Wombacks anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, all good stuff. Um. And now we will get into some Match Week 11 content, starting off with uh, somehow the second most controversial <laughs> game of the weekend. Uh, seems like it wasn't going to get much worse, but it got a lot worse. Um, Newcastle won, Arsenal nil. The lone goal coming from none other than uh, Anthony Gordon in the... Oof, I was too frustrated to even know what minute they scored it in. Uh, the 64th minute. Um, this was a very, very cagey game. Neither team really generated chances. Uh, part of the frustration for me about Arsenal, about Arteta's complaints about VAR, obviously, maybe they were validated, maybe they weren't. Very mm. ambiguous, but I, I don't think Arsenal. Before we get into the VAR stuff, I don't know if Arsenal necessarily deserve three points, even. You know, if that Anthony Gordon goal got overturned, 
I, I think a nil nil or one one at best was probably the result that was needed. Yeah, this game really just did look like a nil nil. There was not a lot of attacking quality and just a whole lot of physical just chaos. This is one of the most physical games I've seen in the Premier League this season. Just challenges flying everywhere all over yeah. the pitch. Um again, don't want to get into the VAR stuff yet, but Bruno Gimaresh uh had a few just really ag- let's say aggressive yeah. challenges um <laughs> on Jorginho, which I don't know if those two have a past, but it certainly would Seem like Jorginho <laughs> slept with his Wonder sister they or something. Played each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't know, Italy, Brazil, and uh, tournament. Like they they wouldn't have seen each other. Yeah, but you mentioned um you mentioned Arsenal and yeah, I really can't see any scenario where they deserve three points out of this game. And they were a bit unlucky just because of the personnel they had to put out there. Yeah. Um, no Odegaard, which at least for. I don't know how big a shock it was to Arteta, but at least for the fans, you know, we didn't really have any sort of foresight with that one. So we saw the team sheet yeah. seeing, you know, that Havertz was going to play the, that Havertz was going to play the 10. And you're thinking, well, well, first thing you're thinking is shit. <laughs> that, is, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely the first reaction and all Arsenal fans had there. But then you're yeah. thinking, well, mine was fuck, actually. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> obscenity you want to use in this scenario. Um, but then after that, you just you have a moment of, you know, take, you take a breath and you think, you know what? This is his chance, you know, to prove mm-hmm. himself. You know, this is his supposedly natural position. You know, this is where, you know, this is where he has to make it count. There's a huge opportunity for him. And it is fair to say that he absolutely did not take that opportunity. He, no, he did not. He produced absolutely nothing creatively, nothing in the final third. Um, his best play of the game was drawing three yellow cards on Newcastle after a challenge so bad. Perhaps that... <laughs> the best play of the game entirely. No, honestly, like he he was playing chess there, not checkers. Um, <laughs> it, it was commendable, but in terms of what he actually was bought to do, uh, not too much in that department. And there wasn't a lot of that, and there wasn't a lot of creativity in the middle of the field for any Arsenal player. I mean, you have. Through the middle, you look at it, you have Nketiah, who had a great hat-trick last week, but again, you know, he's more of a poacher striker. He doesn't provide as much as, nearly as much as Gabriel Jesus would, you know, in terms of inventiveness yeah. in the middle of the field. Then you have Jorginho, who I didn't think played badly, but again, he's just not that final third player. Rice was the best option we had, and... Rice, again, you know, he's kind of more of like a box-to-box eight now. There's only so much of the creative burden you can put on him. So, honestly, looking at the team sheet, I'm not really surprised that Arsenal weren't able to produce much through the middle. We kind of needed a big performance from Martinelli and Saka out on the wings, and they just they just didn't step up this time. Yeah. Uh, it's The thing with Havertz is, like, it almost seems like... <sighs> It, he's playing like the way he would play if he like guest played for like his like old best friends like Sunday league team mm-hmm. where he's kind of just coasting and like to the point where like he would feel bad if he tried because he would dominate the game. That's what it looks like. <laughs> but like obviously that wouldn't be the case. Um it, it just looks like he's he doesn't like he's not trying to use his talent whatsoever yeah it looks like he's trying to just not give the ball away and yes that's on Havertz but how as a coach do you not dig into him emotionally and be like you are better than this you can influence the game like like if I was the manager of Havertz I would be sitting him down one one on one every single after every single week he puts in a performance like this and looking him in the eyes and saying what the hell are you doing i'd rather you go out there and fuck it up than just play square balls all day which is what mm. he does he doesn't give the ball away that much yeah. he just doesn't do anything with it mm. like he rarely even gets on the ball when he does it's 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 one of the most frustrating things i've ever watched as an arsenal fan Absolutely. and that's saying something because the last five, six years 
was frustrating soccer. And this it just like we all you could pull up his highlights from Leverkusen. It's some of the best highlight tapes you'll see of like a young uh baller. Like absolutely like up there with like the Bellingham highlights and the Pedri highlights with the Kai Havers highlights. And maybe even more so. He had, what do he have like 20 15 20 goals in a Bundesliga season? Like he mm. killed it from Cam from midfield. Like this is the and he's like tw- he's still 24 or 25. Like he's still pretty young. Even could be even younger than that. I like I it just it's so so frustrating to have a player like that who just doesn't believe in himself, you know? And maybe there's something going on behind the scenes we don't know about family, you know, maybe he's not adapting to England as a whole, Germany to England, I don't know. Um clearly didn't adapt to to Chelsea, so maybe it's just this lingering thing where he just lost confidence. Clearly there's no confidence, so I don't know. But aside from Havertz, obviously Declan Rice, it's impossible for him to put in a bad performance so he played well um the defense was fine like they're also they're down guys too they're down Tenali, they're down Isaac, they're down Botman and mm-hmm. that's three core players you could yep. argue those are the three best players in their team Absolutely. up there at Trippier like and they're down all three of them they put I'm not even counting the Man U game because anybody can beat Man U right now but like <laughs> the week before they went to Wolves and drew like pretty weak it was a weak draw like, it wasn't like a Wolves versus City snatch and grab. Like, Wolves are putting pressure on. They probably deserved a draw in that game. And then they go to Arsenal and, like, don't really produce much offensively. Kind of get fortunate with this VAR thing that we'll talk about. But, like, you know, they're solid defensively and they worked very hard. And they got themselves a draw because Arsenal did not have their creative influence in the midfield. Or they're at, that t- at their striker. And they didn't start Zinchenko, by the way, who is another creative influence. So they're really just devoid of creativity. Um, you could argue the three most creative players in their entire squad they were missing, which was just, you know, doomed from the start. Um, but now we can get into the VAR because I think I've exhausted almost everything else. <laughs> um, we'll take it from the top. Was the ball out of play? Um, I mean, we don't have the right angles to know if it was out of play. I think anybody who looks at that angle and is saying, oh, it's out of play is just ignorant because... You can't tell anything from that angle. Yeah. And from that angle, it definitely looks, again, drawing on past experiences, the first one I think of is Japan in the World Cup, that goal against Spain, yeah. where you know, the angles were very deceiving. Uh, I could definitely yeah. see that ball you know, being yeah. along the line. So I'm By not, like a I'm toenail, not... by like a John Stone's donut. Yeah. Like, that I agree with. I think it, mm-hmm. Not only do I think that it wasn't clear enough that VR did a good job not... Mm-hmm. Like not being decisive on that specific aspect of it, um, but I think it was in. Like I genuinely yeah. think that it, it probably clipped it by like a half a millimeter or something, but I probably still wasn't. Yeah. Um, the foul on Gabriel. This this one I'm honestly still debating. I, it's so. <laughs> so Gabriel is definitely starting to go down, like he. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see in his motion, he's trying to flick the ball back over Joe Linton's head. So he's leaning forward already. And probably, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if he stays on his feet. There's no doubt he's already kind of leaning forward, hunched over a bit. But sure. it's also, there's also no doubt about the fact that Joe Linton fully extends his arms into Gabriel's back. Like, the pictures show that. His arms fully extended, making contact with yep. the back of Gabriel. I also know that Gabriel, for as fantastic of a center back as he is and very physical, Gabriel can, you know, be egregious sometimes. Yeah, he can draw a contact. He can completely blank on the word, but he can exaggerate his reactions. Embellish. Embellish, that's what I'm looking for. So honestly, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know, and... You know, the call on the field is a goal. In this case, with so much uncertainty, you kind of have to stick with the on-field decision. It's unlucky mm. that that one didn't go Arsenal's way, but, you know, that's part of the game. I don't think they got it wrong. I, could, I can't say yeah. they got it wrong. I can't fully disagree with that. Uh, my my stance is that it was a foul. He 
put his arms out. And if you want to say like, hey, it's it's tough to call in the middle of the field. Uh, sure, but in a nothing, nothing. Like I, the the call shouldn't change drastically depending on the time, the importance of the goal. But it should change depending on goal or not goal. And if the a goal is on the line, and you put in a challenge that is like, if not a clear and obvious foul, like basically on the edge of clear and obvious foul, it's a foul. You can't let that go, in my opinion. I mean, I could this could be my bias, and I this is something I I simply can't, you know, surgically remove from my thought process. But to me two arms in the back like you saw the stills you saw the replay like i i don't see how at least you can't at least go did he even go to the monitor for the push no but like then again if you go to the monitor they're gonna call it so which is another thing that's wrong with var i don't know why you were not letting the on-field referee make a decision because you're not you're basically saying this is a foul go to the monitor you know, take an extra 10 seconds to look at the monitor. You don't even have to look at it. Like, 100% of the time over the last three years, when they've yeah. gone to the monitor, it's been called. 100% of the time. Not, like, one out of every 10,000. Ten th- like, zero out of every 10,000 times, it has been overturned. I don't know why that is. That's, aside from the Arsenal-Newcastle game, why are we not saying, that's close, let's, make, let's let you make the final decision? Because in the end of the day, it should be his final decision. And I think that's the way it's done in, by the way, every other league that hasn't had trouble with VAR. But somehow, in this one, we have that like unwritten rule. And we're the only league that really can't fucking figure this shit out. Um, nonetheless, I think it's a foul. Is it offsides? I don't think it's offsides. I... I I think that was just like a, a throw-in VAR thing because they really don't know what they're doing. Um, just for like, you know, sprinkle on top. Um, do you think it was offside? Honestly, I don't think I understand the offside rule well enough to make a judgment <laughs> on that. Because so I'm not really quite sure what they were looking at with the offside. Because they didn't draw any uh-huh. lines. Because I think what they were looking at is whether it touched off of Gabrielle or not. Uh-huh. after uh-huh. it touched Joel Linton, but which shouldn't have mattered because Gabrielle wasn't making an intentional play on the ball. Yeah, exactly. And that's and that's what's confused me. I feel like I see these types of calls regarding this rule every now and again. I still never quite understand what the rule is. So, I honestly haven't bothered trying to make sense of it. So, yeah. Um Nonetheless, uh, the result is the result, uh, leaving Arsenal uh, fourth now on 24, uh, behind on one goals for to Liverpool in third. Uh, Newcastle up to, well, remaining in sixth, but up to 20 points, just two points now away from uh, Villa in fifth and four points out of Champions League. Uh, Arsenal, three points from uh, Manchester City. In first, so you know, still tight at the top. Obviously, only eleven games in, but this is—I uh, mean, come on! <laughs> <laughs> like you can't. If you want to win a title, you can't draw to Chelsea and then fucking lose Newcastle. You can't in two in three weeks. You just can't. You can't do that. Like, ugh. Like it's it's gonna have to be an ugly Premier League season for Arsenal to have any shot at this. Uh, it just. With their injuries and shit like that, like it's just gonna have to be ugly. We move on because God, we have a lot more to talk about. <laughs> um, we should breeze through this one honestly because the third one is a doozy. <laughs> uh, Luton Town one, Liverpool one. Still a crazy game and a yeah. monumental <laughs> result, but somehow we have to brush through it because we have just a ridiculous game on the other end. Um, but. The goals came from Tahith Chong in the 80th, and then Luis Diaz, emotional goal for Luis Diaz in the 90th plus five to equalize. Not enough time for Liverpool to get an equalizer. It would end 1-1 at Kenilworth Road. Um, and I think Darwin Nunez himself got three XJ in this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was... Uh, I might have cursed uh, Darwizzi because I gave him a shout-out on the last <laughs> podcast uh, after his, you yeah. know... Three game I, goal I backed streak. that shout out. Um, but yeah, this was he was back to you know 
prime Darwin Darwin Nunez form. He he missed a couple of <laughs> he missed a couple of chances in this game. Um, had a couple of semi breakaways, but of course the open goal miss after the header down from Salah. I mean, like it was it was bouncing, but like it took like one very nice bounce yeah. that he had like three seconds of time to react to. Yeah. Just he had, he could have calculated that. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't like a bobble or anything. Like he saw it like the entire way through. Like uh just just an absolutely inexplicable mess, even for his standards. Um but yeah. Uh also want to shout out to Heath Strong, uh FIFA twenty one Salford City career mode legend, finally living up to his potential. That was a proud moment for me to see him score his first Premier League goal. <laughs> Um, not quite the 95 rated player yet that, you know, he was for my team, but he, he's getting there. Yeah. You know, Begins baby. with a single step. <laughs> yeah. Baby steps. I mean, look, what, 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 what rating did you buy him at? Oh, must've been like 60 something. I, I played, I, I played right that now. career for more seasons than I'm willing to admit here on this podcast. <laughs> let's just, let's just say that. <laughs> um, Anyway, yeah, this one was uh, absolutely, without question, two points dropped from Liverpool. Not just because they drew Luton Town, but in the manner that they did it, they deserved probably five on the day, and they came out with a fortunate one. Uh, just one of those classic don't score, get scored on. I mean, at some point, when you miss that many chances, I think you have to get scored on. In order to like even have a chance to come back and make it 2-1, I would just score an own goal. And in the 70th minute, if you, if you really miss chances that badly, score an own goal. It's coming anyway. Get it out of the way. And then you can attack for 20 minutes and maybe get a 2-1 win. Because it, that's just the way football is written. You've seen it too many times. I mean, Liverpool, they had so many chances. But I also think that the way those chances came to fruition doesn't really reflect well on the attacking quality that they do have because most of the chances that they got were just from poor Luton defending on crosses Mm -hmm. and to be honest they didn't they slipped in Nunez in behind a couple of times but whenever Luton were playing a low block Liverpool really didn't have that many ways through and with their best midfield trio out there with Shabaslai, Gravenberch, and McAllister. And then obviously, yeah. you know, Salah, Diaz, or Diaz came on as a sub, but Salah, Nunez, and Jota. I would have expected a lot more from them in this game. I thought Luton's defending was pretty resolute. And then the second half, they were, you know, they went for this. Like, they, they had a couple of chances in the second half before Tahith Strong's go-ahead goal. So... It wasn't, obviously it was smash and grab, but not quite as much as, you know, you'd think for a mashup like this. Yeah. Liverpool have been so good. That's that's what's so concerning. Like, not concerning, but, like, so surprising about this is that, like, any of the last five weeks, and they legitimately have five goals in this game, especially with the way Darwin's been playing. Like, I think it's just one of those one-off, like, I can't believe this happened, but we kind of just have to move on because we're still playing really well. And they still played well. They just, like, that final piece, they couldn't get over the line. And sometimes that's the way it is. Even at, even at Kenilworth Road against one of the worst teams in England, in the English top flight, sometimes it just happens. And I think you could just write it off. I think what was so great about this was that as soon as Luton got promoted, people were making jokes about Nunez like smashing balls like out of the stadium <laughs> and like having to go into like someone's garden to <laughs> to yeah. retrieve it and then he skies an absolute sitter. Actually like, did it, yeah. <laughs> like the prophecy coming true is just such a great, yep. you know, full circle moment. Agreed. Um anyway, we gotta move on because holy shit. <laughs> this one is quite dense. Um Spurs won Chelsea, four. And here's how it went down. In the sixth minute, Dejan Kulishevsky scored a goal via deflection off Levi Colwell. So far, exactly what we expected to happen. I pretty much begged my friends to put money on Tottenham Hotspur. 
because <laughs> in my head, there was absolutely no way they didn't come out with a victory in this game. I forgot about the fact um, that there's a rule that removes players from the field <laughs> should you breach it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that, we'll get to that in a second. And that Christian Romero very, very much uh, exploits this rule. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, in the 13th minute, a disallowed goal. Hyungman's son's goal is ruled out for offsides and confirmed by VAR, although it was a matter of a toenail. Um, yeah. This would have made it 2 nothing, and it would have gotten maybe uglier from there. In the 21st minute, it, this time a disallowed goal for Chelsea. Uh, Sterling's goal initially given. He came, came down the left, um, and... Kind of just barged his way through. Yeah. Uh, I believe it was Romero. Um, fortunately for him, the last touch before Sterling got put it into the net came off his right forearm. Um, and what was originally called the goal was ruled out by VAR. Ethan, no complaints about this one, right? Absolutely not. No. Clear and bold. Yeah. This one, this one, you know, his arm was out, came off his arm, shouldn't be affecting the goal. Right call. Got to give VAR credit where credit is due because... It's few and far between nowadays. Um, and then in the 27th minute, the catastrophe happened. Um, so Caicedo scores a long-range goal that is ruled out for offsides because uh, I think, I assume, it, it took a really long time for the, the assistant referee to raise his flag. I think he was yeah. talking to the middle referee to ask whether he thought that Nicholas Jackson was in the way of the goalkeeper because AR can't see that. And then after the center referee said, yes, I think Nicholas Jackson was in the way of the goalkeeper, the AR said, well, he was offside, so I'm going to raise my flag. Then he raised his flag. Um, obviously, that went to VAR. Once it got to VAR, now that they had time on their hands, they could check the rest of the play, which included a... Pretty strong, to keep it unbiased, strong challenge from Christian Romero on Enzo Fernandez. I'm gonna let, I have some strong opinions on this, so I would like to let you say your opinions first. Um, this is a this is a really tough one. Honestly, it's almost you could almost say that it's a red card, but not a foul. <laughs> Like, he clearly gets the ball first, undeniably yep. gets the ball first, and then just follows through with his studs up into the ankle of Enzo Fernandez. And it's, in, and it's a pretty strong challenge. I talk a lot about how not very often, or that one of the big flaws of VAR, at least this season, is that for red card challenges, they're not really taking into account the force of the challenge. They're just seeing, oh, studs up equals red card Mm -hmm. for this challenge there's undeniably a lot of force going into it and his studs are up so in theory that should be a red but he does get the ball first so again like i said it's almost a red but not a foul (laughs) and i don't really and in it's in the box interesting but i see where you're coming from yeah it's it's a tough one it really is a tough one again Similar to the Antti Goran goal with, and the Gabrielle foul incident with so much uncertainty, you know, I can't really disagree with the call there. So you're saying red card penalty? Yeah, because you can't not, it can't be one or the other, like I've you yeah, know, explained yeah, yeah. here. It's got to be all in or, or nothing, so. Yeah. Um, I thought that. I saw the challenge in real time and I was like, damn, like what a challenge. Like that ball sitting in the box came in strong. Like what a challenge. And then I saw it on replay and you know, in slow motion, obviously it looks a lot worse because you know, you see the follow through and it looks like in slow motion, it looks like the follow through is like intentional where he's like sliding with force through Enzo. I think the game's gone. I think this is a byproduct of a contact sport. If the ball's sitting in the box, if he doesn't go in strong... By the way, his extension and follow-through was the extension of him 
kicking the ball with his foot. He didn't go in. I don't think he even made contact with the bottom of his foot. I think the ball made contact with his laces, and it was kind of like a flick out. If I could be misremembering, but I believe that's how it was. And if that's how it was, that's just a follow-through from a clearance. And Enzo Fernandez's shin happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. This Giving a red card and a penalty for this is the equivalent of outlawing the tackle in, in American football. Like, because people get injured from tackles. Like, it's a contact sport. This is the way the game is played. Sometimes you have to go to ground to make desperation tackles, and sometimes players get in the way. When the ball is the objective, two players are going to be going for the ball pretty often, and one player is going to go in. That, I don't think the challenge was even reckless, and I, that's, that's the basis of the rule, right? You don't want it to be a dangerous challenge, and that's why the red card was given, because it was a dangerous challenge. This is by no means to me a dangerous challenge. Christian Romero, a strong defender, went in with a strong tackle, got nothing but ball, and his follow-through and his follow-through only came up high because he had to extend his knee to flick the ball out of the box. On the contrary, all contraire, Udogi came in on Raheem Sterling. I'm sure you remember this play. With two, like, he went in like he was bobsledding. <laughs> he left his feet like like he was Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy sitting in the <laughs> invisible fucking That's how we went into this challenge. It's pretty accurate. That's a red card. That's a fucking red card. <laughs> like even he, just because Sterling got out of the way and he got the ball, he went in like he was in seated position when he went in for this challenge. That's a red card. That's uh, that's my defense to the Christian, my Christian Romero take is Romero went in clean. He went in honest. He got the ball. There's nothing more you can ask of Christian Romero in that play. Udogi went in reckless with two feet, left his feet, went in ridiculously reckless. That's how you snap ankles. Romero's challenge. That's he wasn't trying to snap ankles. He was trying to get the ball out. Romero's a reckless player. God knows he'll he'll have more red cards for re- re- reckless challenges, but I don't think this one was. I think they got this one all wrong, and what was also concerning was how many commentators and Twitter users alike were pretty adamant that this was the right decision, when I believe that, or that it was clear. Look, if you want to say, ah, you're splitting hairs, fine, but to say this is a clear and obvious red card, I mean, I hate to sound like Roy Keane here, but like... (laughs) Have you seen some of the challenges? Like, th- this is just a soccer challenge. It's just, this is what it is. I, I, I mean, I've been playing this game for a long time. I'd go into, if I were Christian Romero, I'd go into that same challenge the same way. Because I don't know what else you do. You're making a, des- the ball's sitting in the box. You're making a desperation clearance. You get nothing but ball. And the follow-through happens to hit Enzo Fernandez's shins. Because guess what? Enzo also wants the ball and he's right there. I, I, just because he got there late. If Enzo got, Fernandez got there on time, he probably swings through the ball, gets the ball with Enzo Fernandez's foot behind the, the ball, and it's clean challenge, and the ball's out, and we're fine. I, I, it's just, it's a byproduct of, you know, unfortunate circumstance that Enzo Fernandez's shin was there. In a contact sport, contact is going to happen, and he didn't injure himself on that play, but if he did, that's still a byproduct of the sport. It's not a dangerous challenge. It's not a red card, in my opinion. That being said, that was not what was given on the day. Cole Palmer steps up to nail home the penalty. Vicario almost gets a fingertip on it, but just not enough to keep it out. And that would be the equalizer for Chelsea at last. In the 37th minute, Nicholas Jackson, enter Nicholas Jackson. He would have a part to play in this game. Um, his tap-in, one of several, uh, would be disallowed for offsides on Sterling um, because he was just offside. Tottenham Hotspur playing a tactically questionable high line uh, once they went down to 10 and also once they went down to 9. An unapologetic <laughs> high line, I should say. Um, and that's the, way it would end, that's the way the half would end after a slew of extra time, as you might imagine. Yep. After halftime, the 54th minute, it would be a second yellow card for Destiny Udogi. Uh, clumsily taking out Sterling. I mean, he went in. Once he started going in for this challenge, it was ball or tunnel. 
and it was tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like that's just not how you that that is an inexperienced player making an inexperienced challenge. I mean, you ask the Casemiro's and the experienced tacklers of the world, that's not the way you go into a challenge when you're on a yellow, and that's exactly what he did, risking himself walking into the showers, and that's what he got. Uh, Spurs go down to nine men, still at 1-1. Then in the 75th minute, Chelsea would eventually get their goal. Tottenham playing this, again, tactically questionable high line. They scored, Chelsea scored, as you would imagine, they get in behind from midfield, and as you would imagine, as Sterling probably should have done three, four times before, when he was offside, squared to Nicholas Jackson, Nicholas Jackson this time finishes his tap-in, and Chelsea take the lead with 15 minutes of regular time to go. Three minutes later, Spurs almost get their miracle equalizer, a goal disallowed Eric Dyer's volley was ruled offsides on the field and confirmed by VAR. Again, a matter of inches. Uh, this script writers went crazy on this one. Yeah. <laughs> tick, tick, tick. In the 94th, eventually, uh, Spurs generated a chance or two for an equalizer, but Nicholas Jackson comes down uh, the field, beats that high line, and scores with a finish from point-blank range. Um, I believe it was from Mudrick, actually. So shout-out Mudrick, goal, and assist, goal or assist. Um, and then the 97th minute to complete the worst hat trick in Premier League history, uh, <laughs> Nicholas Jackson comes down the field, uh, ball rolls Udogi like it's FIFA 15 and scores to make it 4-1 and what an absolutely crazy game of football this was. I mean, look, if you think VAR has ruined football, you're insane because this was one of the most spectacular <laughs> occurrences I've ever seen on the football pitch. Yeah, this Spurs-Chelsea just never, ever, ever seems to disappoint. And this was, <laughs> this was one of the greatest iterations of, of this matchup. And there is, there's still just so much to unpack. Like you mentioned before, the Spurs high line. When, when you first see, like, you know, the first, like, five minutes of this, you're thinking, wow, like, Ange Postacoglu, what a brave manager, down to nine men. Still playing this high line, still playing, you know, this risky football. You know, what a manager. All respect to him. And then about five minutes later, you're thinking, actually, this is really fucking stupid. Why why wouldn't you just, on nine men, why wouldn't you just yeah, sit back, get behind the ball, you know, sit in your own box, make it as difficult as possible to be penetrated? You... There is no team on the planet that could, for almost a full half of soccer, be able to successfully execute yeah. a high line with nine men. It just, it just doesn't work. You ha- in order to play th- this way, you have to be able to put pressure on the players making passes in behind. And with nine men, you just, you just can't do that. You just don't have the facilities yeah. for that. And especially against a team like Chelsea, who have so much pace in behind and who are so yeah. bad at breaking teams so down, bad possession. Yeah. It, it just makes absolutely no sense. Um, and I know Pascal commented on it after the game because obviously he was asked about it and he just said, you know, just because that's the way we play. Um, you know, there, listen, there is a, some respect there with, you know, sticking to, you know, your tactics, your style of play, but. This was a 1-1 game. Like, you weren't already down 2-1, 3-1, and, you know, saving face. Like, you could have gotten something out of this game. You still almost got something out of this game, even by playing this way. And that's not because, you know, it was a great tactic, just because Chelsea were so poor and inefficient in the final third. Although, credit has to be given to Vicario, even conceding four goals. He had a spectacular game uh, as a sweeper-keeper. But, yeah... Postacoglu has had a fantastic start to his Spurs career. Even if he did sit all his guys behind the ball, still wasn't likely to get anything out of this game. But this certainly wasn't the move here. It just wasn't. I just... 
what? So if they're up, so if they're Ange, if you're up three one, you're still gonna play a high line that down to nine men because that's the way you play. Of course you're not. You, like you're full of shit, dude. Like the, if you're an actual manager at any level, not even the Premier League, at like high school, college, any any manager, and you're not adapting after going down to ten men, what the fuck are you doing? Like that's just like. Guardiola's never done that. He's never like gone down to ten men and be like, "Well, what am I gonna do? Change the tactics?" Yes, that's exactly what you're gonna do. You're gonna change the tactics because you are the manager and that is your job. Like, I, it's it's such bullshit. And Chelsea, one, are very bad in with like you know against low blocks because they they beat they beat you with pace, which is exactly what they did. Um, and you got pace up top. Like, they left Kulishevsky on the field. They left Son on the field. Like, when you sit back and you invite that pressure, there will be space over the top. Like, not only are you giving Chelsea space in behind, which is, like, the easiest way Chelsea will ever score a goal, but, like, you are leaving yourself no space over the top. Like, uh, let's say you win the ball high. Now you're going 9v11 with half a field. Like, that's, it's just like, none, nothing about this makes any sense. And what they in for what they did, it kind of it worked for a little bit. Like I didn't think it would work that well. I thought if you did that, they would go down like seven, eight, one, because eventually somebody's going to time their run, which is what happened. But like, I guess the the high line kind of worked because I caught them offside like four or five times. Like, but did does that even did it even work? Because I still gave up three goals. Like I don't. It it just made made no sense. I've been watching the sport for a while. I look. I'm not being paid millions of dollars to be a professional manager but i've watched the sport for a while and it looked like the most idiotic thing ever and it proved out to be the most idiotic thing ever and that kind of makes it seem like it was one of the most idiotic things ever but hey he's still top of the league i think oh no he's not actually (laughs) top of the league um but he was top of the league for the longest time so clearly he's doing something right um what's more concerning for spurs is not the nine-man high line it's james madison with a question mark of an injury right now because if they lose Son or Madison for an extended period of time, first of all, Mickey Van Deveen, we're not going to see him until March of the earliest because that is a surefire torn hamstring and that, t- that is a healthy recovery. Uh, we, we will not see Mickey Van Deveen for a while, and that means Eric Dyer stepping back into this defense. Not what you want to see as a Spurs fan. James Madison, one of the, not, I'm not even going to say one of the, the absolute catalyst of this team right now. To lose him to an injury for even a month would be pretty devastating if you're even sniffing a title charge. Even sniffing a top four, because if they lose Madison for three, four months, like now it's Giovanni LaCelso that's going to be feeding Son. Like, sure, Ange turned Basuma from like a, a guy that didn't even want to give playing time to a guy that like drives their midfield, but like, are we going to turn LaCelso into a top four can- uh, center attacking mid right now? We're going to have to because Madison, that he, he came off pretty quickly. Like, he yeah. definitely couldn't continue. And he's had an injury history, too. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't, he, last year for Leicester, he played, like, 20 games. Like, that, he's... This could be bad. And Son, Madison, those are the two guys you simply cannot afford to lose right now. And they lost Madison. And they lost for Charleston, too. Which uh, he's not really scoring goals, but he's still an option, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's piling up a little bit. Obviously, you got two red cards too, so you got some suspensions coming. But uh, yeah, it all kind of went to shit very quickly for Spurs. Yeah, this this mass, the Madison and Van Devine, both of them just absolutely just crucial players for this team. I mean, both of them are summer signings, and it's clear the impact they've had on this Spurs yeah. team. And especially with the run of games they have coming up, paired with, like you mentioned, the suspensions of Udogi and Romero. Um, Udogi, well, I think that should just be one game, right? A second yellow? Uh, Yeah. So that's just a one-game suspension. They can even appeal it if they want to. but Yeah, I don't think they're going to be successful yeah. in that. Um, well, no, they definitely won't be. <laughs> like, that's a clear yeah. two yellows. Yeah, um, yeah. So he'll be out for a game. I think they play Wolves next week, so that's not the end of the world. But Romero, I mean, I'm pretty sure 
you know, straight red for violent conduct because it was a violent challenge, not just like, oh, last man. So I'm pretty sure that's yeah. three games. And if that's the case, he's missing Villa and he's missing City. Um, uh, is, he, is he missing? Yeah, I think, yeah, Villa and City are both after Wolves. So no Romero, no Van Deveen, and no Madison for two of the more difficult games on Spurs' fixture list to this date. Yeah, this, this could be where Spurs start to yeah. trip up. If they, if they lose Madison for an extended period of time, I would cling to top four while you still have it. Because I don't know what this team is going to generate offensively without James Madison. That's how good he's been. It's more not a not really a diss on the rest of Spurs team because they've all been pretty good, but like more a compliment to just how good James Madison yep. has been. And I've given Madison a ton of praise, and I don't think I've given it enough because he's been just unbelievably good. Um, and to lose him would be pretty devastating. However, in the interest of time, we will move on to round out match week eleven with some scores from around the ground. Starting off with Fulham nil, Manchester United won a Bruno Fernandez late, late, late equalizer, ninety first minute would see Manchester United pick up three points. Uh, pretty crucial three points. Stop a little bit of a skid. I mean, they've won three of the last four, so like you could say they're on good form, but they did lose last week um, to City in pretty calm, you know, effortless fashion. Um, but didn't look like fantastic in this game, but sometimes you just need to get the ball over the line, and that's what they did. Um, not necessarily a match that is going to, you know, spark any inspiration from Manchester United fans, but a win is a win, and three in their last four, can't really complain with that. They're inching up the table, now eighth, tied with Brighton, only behind on goal difference. Brighton, by the way, three points from their last five games, three points from their last 15 possible. They're, they've hit a little bit of a skid as well. Um, maybe that's a Bas- uh, Basuma thing. Not Basuma. Estupanon. Uh they lost Estupanon. Um Ferguson hasn't really been scoring. Matoma's been a little silent. We'll get to Brighton in a second. But uh Yeah, inching up the table. And if they want any shot at top four, you kinda need these balls these uh matches to swing your way. So uh that's what happened. Brentford three, West Ham two, uh five goals um in this one, but Brentford end up taking all three. They actually go up one nothing, then down two one, then back up three two. Uh, Mope in the 11th, Kudus in the 19th. He's heating up for you, Ethan. Oh, yeah. Um, Jared Bowen uh, in the 26th. Then a Konstantinos Mavropanos, former gunner, uh, own goal for Brentford. Well, for West Ham. Played for West Ham. Put it into his own net for Brentford. And then Nathaniel Collins in the 69th minute uh, would get the winner. Uh, it seemed like Brentford probably the better play in this game. Um, West Ham hanging around, using their talent to uh, sneak a couple by, but in the end, I feel like this one might have been just. Manchester City 6, Bournemouth 1. Uh, a goal and four assists for Jeremy Doku. A bit of a coming out performance for him. Um, I'm sick and tired of them making good signings, Ethan. I really am. Jack Grealish, um, get ready to learn Chinese, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jack Grealish out there playing like Almiron. Um... Jeremy Doku in the 30th, Bernardo Silva in the 33rd, Manuel Kanji in the 37th, Phil Foden in the 64th, Luis Sinistera with a mere consolation in the 74th, and then Silva again in the 83rd, and Nathaniel Ake in the 88th to round out the 6-1 victory for City. They now sit top. Miraculously, the (laughs) three other teams in the top four all just absolutely capitulated in one weekend, and they jumped up to first. Uh, Tottenham lost, Liverpool drew to Luton Town away after getting 97 XG, and Arsenal lost to Newcastle away. Sheffield United 2, Wolves 1. Sheffield United on the board with their first win of the season, and it could not have come at a better time because, boy, it was looking grim for them. Uh, They are now only two points from safety. Miraculously, Luton Town snagged a point from Liverpool. Um, but Bournemouth got blown out and, uh, as we'll get to, uh, Burnley lost to Crystal Palace. So game on for, uh, <laughs> for Sheffield United, um, back in business, I guess. Yep. They may not be the worst Premier League team of all time after <laughs> all. 
inching towards the Derby County number. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this was pretty exciting. Um, Cameron Archer in the 72nd. Uh, Jean Richner Bellegarde. Bellegarde. I don't think I'll be saying that name very often when it comes to goals, but he's the one who got it uh, in the 89th. And then an Oliver Norwood 100th minute penalty at home to get Sheffield United a huge win against technically another team that's fighting relegation. Um, I mean, absolute limbs yeah. <laughs> for Sheffield United. Um, those are, that's, that's what makes the Premier League the Premier League, you know, games like that. Burnley nil, Crystal Palace two, as I said, we'll get to. Uh, Burnley taking another L at home. Uh, Crystal Palace just seeing out a victory against a team that, that was inferior. Uh, Jeffrey Schlepp in the 22nd, and then Terry Mitchell in the 94th. So, a couple of wingbacks there. Um, getting on the score sheet. It seems like Burnley probably had the better play in this game. 17 shots to 4, 68 possession to 32. But it's just not going well for Burnley right now. Um, very, very poor form. Four losses from their last four. Uh, they need to start riding the ship or they will be sent down, likely with Sheffield United. Everton won. Brighton won. Uh, Mick Kalenko in the seventh. Ashley Young own goal in the 84th are the only two goals in this game. 80% possession to 20% possession. This one was a tilted field, to say the least. However, didn't really matter in the end. 1-1 was the final. Brighton losing... Leaking inspiration, I'll say at the moment. They came out of the gate firing, have sputtered a little bit. Uh, they probably just need another couple South Americans um, because the magic <laughs> of the old ones is fading. Gotta give uh, some credit to Everton, gotta, though, here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, well, right now, they're sitting 16th, which is only two places out of relegation, but they're on 11 points, which is five points above Luton in 17th. So... Yeah, I mean, Everton have taken two wins from their last four, seven points from their last 12, which is a fan- that That's mid-table. That's yeah. a mid-table. That's like, that's like a 9th, 10th place uh, pace in the last four games. So clearly an on-form Everton team. You always thought Sean Dyche might have pulled it around. Um, obviously a lot of time to go, but uh, looking pretty good right now for, for uh, the Toffees. Uh, and last but not least, Nottingham Forest two, Aston Villa nil. Pretty shock result, um, for Nottingham Forest. Um, even at home, Aston Villa playing so well right now. Um, Ina in the fifth, and then Oriol Mangala in the forty seventh. Um, again, seems like a pretty tilt- tilted field. Seventy four percent possession to twenty six, but I mean two nothing. Villa not really generating too much. I think it was just one of those like didn't get up for it on the day. Um, Villa. One before this game, won three of the last four, um, then go to uh Nottingham Forest and lose two nothing. So off brand, I would say. However, hopefully it's not a start of a downturn for Villa's form because I've been pretty impressed with how they've played recently. But um, yeah, definitely a a tough one, uh, for the villains. And that rounds out match week eleven. A pretty crazy match week eleven at that. Hopefully match week twelve will live up to it. Um, we got one match week 12 prediction this week and it's Chelsea, Manchester city. And last time, last two times, Chelsea played big six teams. They drew Arsenal miraculously and then they beat Spurs four one in the craziest game I've seen in a very long time. So what will we get this, Ethan? What will we get this week, Ethan? Yeah. Um, I implore everybody out there to please, for the love of God, not get carried away with this Chelsea victory. <laughs> um, Spurs with even 10 men probably get a point out of this. Uh, and certainly, I can't imagine Chelsea getting three points with 11 Spurs players out on the field. Uh, Man City are just miles, miles, and a few more miles better than Chelsea. Um, at home, Chelsea you know, completely outplayed Arsenal. That was kind of due to Arsenal having one of their worst performances of the season. But Mm -hmm. it shows that Chelsea can get up for it at home this season. Then again, they did also lose to Brentford at home the following game. So maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) 
I could say anything the fuck I want, and I'm still going to predict City to win this one. Uh, I'm going to go 2-0 City. Yeah, three now, city. <laughs> I I don't I don't think it's gonna be that simple. Like I I think that I think that it's just gonna get like I don't see City winning this game comfortably, by any means. I don't think I don't think it will be because of Chelsea. I think it'll be because of Chelsea's presence. I think there's Mercury is in retrograde whenever Chelsea step out on the field against a big six team. I just something crazy has to happen. A mutter cross going over Rye's head. So Saliba's arm being stuck out. Something, something crazy's got to happen whenever Chelsea step out on the field against the Big Six team. Every game you think they're going to get blown out, they just stay in it on just you know dark magic is the only way I can put it. Um, I I mean I can't bring myself to say this is going to be anything but a City win, so I'm gonna say one nothing Manchester City. But it's it's I still ask everybody very nicely, please watch this game because something crazy is going to happen. Like and maybe a meteor strike or something. I don't know. <laughs> so, something's got to happen. Maybe a real um, Nicholas Jackson to- goal. <laughs> <laughs> now, that'd be something um, to round out the podcast this week in honor of uh, VAR's presence in the Twitterverse. We're bringing back Ethan versus Twitter, a brief one, because I knew that we'd have a very beefy podcast, and I wanted to get us out of here in at least under an hour. Um, so we got a brief one, just three tweets today. But there was a lot to talk about VAR, uh, a lot, a lot of repeat tweets, a lot of people just like saying what's been said. But with enough digging, I found some some good stuff. So just three tweets today, um, and let me pull them up. All right, Ethan, are you ready? Ready as I'll ever be. Tweet number one. This football is so dramatic, I almost don't mind that it's constantly interrupting our big night of live televised VAR. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I I have to agree that VAR definitely almost the main entertainers of this one. <laughs> um It's a good tweet. Uh I'm going to say that one is real. I think I think it's a real tweet. <laughs> that is correct. That is a real tweet. Jack Pitbrook at Jack Pitbrook Pitbrook on Twitter. This football is so dramatic I almost don't even mind. It's constantly interrupting our big night of live televised VAR. <laughs> Tweet number two. VAR should be able to award a bonus goal if it was a really cool goal. This would make the PGMOL seem like more of the fun uncle who high fives you for chugging a root beer and not a bunch of clueless morons. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Again, like. You could uh, you could obviously see somebody from the twi- the Twitterverse putting this out there. <laughs> um, That's the game. <laughs> if that was the case, Nicholas Jackson would have zero goals uh, <laughs> in this one. Um, this is tough. It's very creative. I think I think you've made that one up. This is fake. Two for two. That was from my dome. And last but not least, you've already secured two of three, so you've secured the win, but can you go perfect? Tweet number three. VAR should actually be implemented in society because whenever I fuck up in life, I can just call for a VAR check and maybe I'll get away with it. Would be useful. <laughs> uh, damn. Uh, I'm gonna say that's you again. Uh, I just when when you said it out loud, I just feel like it felt very natural. Those words coming out of your mouth. So I'm gonna say this is you. 
Three for three. Well done. <laughs> that one is fake. Um, just the one real one. Um, yeah, like there was a lot of like, not only just a lot of just repeat stuff, just like, I hate VAR, like stop crying about VAR, Arteta, you know, Pochettino and just blah, 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 blah. But like, there was also a lot of pictures and like, you know, stills of Udogi's foot or like Romero's foot or mm-hmm. like, you know, the offside. So I'm like, I'm just sifting through all this bullshit. I literally like for 45 minutes, I found like three I liked. But I just was like, this is fine. Like, I, I'll just come up with them and see if we can decipher. Um, Twitter needs to be more creative. Twitter needs to be more radical with their thoughts. It's just like, I hate VAR. I love VAR. Like, let's get real here. Who the hell said they love VAR? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should have threw that one in there. That's a yeah. real one. Anyway. That will round out the podcast for this week. Match week 12 coming up next week. I It's going to have to be pretty ridiculous to top this one, but it's going to try. I guarantee you it's going to try. Um, other than uh, City, Chelsea, uh, Man United, Luton. I don't know. Luton got three points. I got a, got a draw against Liverpool. Who says they can't go to Manchester United who are playing like shit right now and get points? Um, Wolves, Tottenham. Tottenham without their uh, top players uh, playing at Molyneux, which has been a tough place to play for a lot of teams. Could see some upsets there. But um, with that, we will sign off for today's podcast. Adios. See ya.